0: Hey y'all, this is Mel Offlerbach and you're listening to Green Juice and Tequila Season 2. Green Juice and Tequila represents the earthy, organic, natural vibes colliding with raw, imperfect, and unfiltered stories. Some of us can have it all together, y'all, eating the latest health nut craze, drink our green juice, meditate every morning, but we also have a side that's vulnerable, real, and sometimes stressed. Life throws you curveballs, y'all, and that's okay. You can be both, green juice and tequila. Well, hello, y'all. This is Mel Offlerbach with Green Juice and Tequila, and I am super pumped and excited to have a dear friend of mine and, honestly, one of the most, I think, iconic yoga teachers in Austin, Texas, um, Ms. Giaconda Parker. Thank you so much for joining me today. So excited.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Excited to have a combo.
0: Oh my gosh. Just being able to talk with someone with like-minded interest and in philosophies, like this. I can already tell you this is gonna be a freaking awesome podcast episode. Um, But y'all, so Giaconda is a yoga teacher in training. She's a somatic experience practitioner and a transpersonal psychologist, which I'm excited to hear a little bit more about what that is. Um, Giaconda has has had teacher trainings, um, retreats. She's really been a senior level teacher, an iconic teacher in Austin. I've been here, I've been living in Austin for 12 years and I've always known about you and have been inspired by your teaching and your workshops that I've taken. So it is really, truly just an honor to have you on and to just learn and absorb more from you during this episode. Um, but why don't you just do a little introduction about yourself so the viewers and the listeners can kind of get a better idea of your background, who you are, and kind of what you stand for.
1: Great. Uh, so I've been teaching for 23 years. I was adding it up because we were talking earlier um, about, like, how many years. So it's 23 years that I've been uh, been teaching and practicing. Um, I, I hadn't been practicing for quite a year when I started teaching. So um, I always joke with people. I'm like, I don't necessarily recommend that path. Uh, but for me, I, I knew probably my seventh yoga class in that I really wanted to teach yoga and share what it was to me with others. So 20, 23 years. And then, um, I also have a master's in transpersonal psychology, um, which transpersonal psychology is the brand of psychology that takes into account that we are spiritual beings and that, um, you know, acknowledges, um, epiphanies and altered states of consciousness and, um, things that like traditional psychology might, call a you know a psychotic break um that from the lens of us we might call a spiritual awakening and yet at the same time uh, transpersonal psychology also says that you need to be like healthy in your ego and so it's uh it's for me it was um, a magical meeting place of of both sides of life that I'd experienced separately and bringing those things together so, um, and then I'm also ex- uh, a somatic experiencing practitioner, and that is a body based uh, trauma treatment uh, therapy protocol developed by Dr. Peter Levine. So,
0: kind of this that. has
1: been the wandering journey of oh, <laughs> of my my eternal studentship, I guess
0: you would say. I absolutely love that. I just remember going through. Um, some of your workshops and even your retreat. In fact, that's funny because the, when I moved to Austin, this was 12 years ago, I came from the yoga community in Utah and Colorado. And so probably within three days of moving here, I'm like, I need a freaking yoga class right now. And I found the love co-op back when it was in that little tiny shopping center. And I just randomly came in and took, I think it was Zoe Montriakis's class and I want to say you were there too, whether you guys were co-teaching together or something. Um, and then that's when I, was, you guys were advertising for your retreat at Jacob's Well, which was like a big deal for me to go sleep in a cabin with like spiders. <laughs> like I don't think you remember if I left early, but it was intense. Um, but I, re- there was pieces of that retreat that have just made such an impression on me that I've now have utilized in my own teachings on retreats and just teaching yoga in general. Um, the thing that like really made an impression on me was we talked about imperfections and we had like a fire burning ceremony and had to bring something that m- like meant something and we had to toss it into the fire. And that was the first time I had ever really done any type of ceremonial, emotional release. So um Anyways, it made such a huge impression. I just was in awe of both of you guys. But and then just following you and and taking classes and workshops. So I like it has it's no surprise at all that you've gone down the path that you're going down and you really have made just such an impression on so many of the teachers in Austin, um, and being able to share those gifts in like psychology and spiritual psychology. I'm like, Oh, I want to take a class about it. I'm like, next time you do a workshop on it, sign me up. Um, so what kind of brought you to the yoga scene? I know you said you're in Tennessee right now, but, um, have you always been living in Austin or-
1: yeah, so I um, I graduated from Abilene Christian University. My father is a missionary and a minister in the Church of Christ long time. And so it was kind of legacy um, school. And while um, in my senior year, I met the man that I married, um, who was from Austin. So that's how I landed in Austin. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so I've been um, living in Austin since 1993, except for a couple of years um, where we uh, decided to backpack and travel the world. So, oh, I uh, lived that. out of a backpack for a
0: couple of years. Oh my gosh, how fun was that? I'm sure there were uh, some crazy ups and ups and downs on that adventure.
1: Well, I mean, uh, um it was quite an adventure, for sure. I mean, there were so many there were some really incredible, really beautiful moments, but um it was it was actually very very difficult um, trip and a difficult time in my life, um, because uh, the my ex-husband, he's now my ex-husband, um, he um, he had some undiagnosed um, psychological issues. and um, they were they were under the surface and and they would come out once in a while before we packed up and left home. But um, being on the road was so destabilizing. Um, for him that his sort of episodes became more and more frequent and more and more frightening, really um, and uh, so eventually we came back to Austin um, to try and and sort things out so getting to where yoga comes into play yes um, we uh, so we we came back to Austin and uh tried to settle back into our house um and during that time i i actually stole <laughs> a vcr um tape it was patricia walden's like introduction to yoga oh and gosh. it was vhs cuz that's how yeah. long ago this yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was on it was on one of our friends bookshelves at a party and i was like i was going to borrow this yeah. um But I I, I will never forget, like the first time through that asana practice, um, she had us in Virabhadrasana 2. And she said, you know, you land in the pose. And then she said, you know, reach from arm to arm. Feel the strength and confidence of Virabhadrasana 2, warrior 2. And I was like, like it just landed. It landed in my body, this feeling of strength. I like could feel my backbone. And I did feel confident in that shape. Um, Which just, like, from that embodied moment, just unwound everything. It's like, wow, when is the last time I felt strong and confident? Like, oh before I got married and why is that? Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it was that first awakening for me of like, you know, they say that a frog, the way to boil a frog is to put it in a pot of cold water and just turn the heat up a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. And the frog doesn't know to jump out. And it was that for me where I was like, wow, this like the temperature has been going up and up and up and I've been feeling less confident and less safe. And, um, and so it was that one literally that one yoga practice where i just knew that i had to i had to change my life yeah and um
0: it's and funny was- how yoga can do that like i think when people first start taking you know yoga as, as they usually come in more as like an athlete like oh i'm going to stretch or i'm going to burn calories and do power but it's like when that moment i always feel like it comes like a couple classes in it just all of a sudden clicks and it becomes this emotional mind, body practice. And I mean, I always tell people, I'm like, yoga is like my therapy. That's when I get on my mat and things start to become more clear. And you're being able to sense and feel what's your body's kind of reaction to how you're living life. And we get so numb to the idea of connecting with ourselves that we don't even realize that maybe our bodies have been telling us this for a long, long time. We just didn't have the mindset or the clarity to hear it, to listen and to see it. And yoga really shoot. I I can't even tell you how many stories I've heard and experienced myself where that has awakened me up. So that's so crazy and amazing that that was, that was your moment coming off of a VHS video. (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah. With the women who I actually later got to go and study with oh and I'll no just I'll never forget. I went to the, it was the first yoga journal conference that ever happened in Colorado and Estes park, Colorado. Yep. Some, some of us will remember this yeah. back in the day <laughs> and Patricia Walden was there and I just was like, it was like more exciting than meeting a rock star for oh, me yeah. I mean, and I was just brimming and I. I remember being both like super excited about being there and also like really nervous to talk to her, but knew I had to just say like, you you changed my life. Like really, it's such an incredible way. And she is such a gifted teacher. And, um, and I think, you know, we talk about this word Shakti in yoga, right? That it's like Shakti is the power behind what you say. And, and meeting her and then finding out about her story and realizing like, ah, oh, she knew that, like she knew that experience from the inside out of yoga being the thing that was the pivot point, um, in her life, um, from like a life of drug addiction to like a life of inspiring others. And, and that has stayed with me permanently, this understanding that it's not the words that you're saying, but it's like the energy behind the words that you're saying.
0: Exactly. Oh my gosh, I love that. So you started your journey with her and you were able to then learn yeah, so then under I was her.
1: In, yeah, I was in Austin and at the time speaking of like how yoga has changed over the years. Oh yeah. I I was in Austin and I I knew I wanted to find a live yoga teacher. And to start to have a practice. And at the time, I think there were maybe four options for yoga. Can you, I
0: cannot imagine because there's so much yoga now in Austin. I just couldn't imagine only having four options. That's so crazy.
1: Yes. And not only that, but like one of them was the Austin yoga school. I think it's what it was called. And it was the Iyengar Um where the Iyengar teachers were but they didn't have a website and they didn't have a schedule at the door and like I would drive over there and be like uh how do I find out when classes are you know (laughs) like it was just like a lot it was back when like to have a website you had to like hire a designer Mm -hmm. like build out a whole website no social media like none of those things Um, and then there was the Austin meditation center, which I went there and realized right away, like, Ooh, this kind of feels like the religious version of yoga, kind of like the religion I grew up with, you know, it's very much like you, like you have to be a vegetarian and you have to do this and you have to do that. And I was like, "Mm, that's not what I'm looking for either.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So, so then I ended up finding my, First yoga teacher, um, and he was teaching yoga at a macrobiotic restaurant called Casa de Luz.
0: I love that, and it's still right. going today too, which is so yeah. awesome.
1: It's still there, sort of like in the midst of like this was back when that whole area was oak trees instead of
0: high oh I know Austin has yeah. just changed so much; it's just unbelievable. So you, ha- so speaking of like the yoga scene, so. You've been teaching in Austin for quite some time. Like, what's your opinion on how the yoga community has just evolved and changed? And do you feel like it's changed for the better? Like, are there things that you've seen that you're just like, like just could have a very strong opinion on? Like, I would just be curious to hear, like, because, you know, like we're talking about, you know, 20 years ago, what yoga was then. And now it's just so like Western and power and everybody wants this like kick-ass class. And so I'm just kind of curious to see and hear from a seasoned teacher what what you think about how everything's evolved.
1: Yeah, it, it has been a really wild evolution to see it grow and change. I mean, when I started practicing yoga, uh, yoga was for people who were a little weird. I mean, like, you know, it wasn't, um, and there wasn't, Ashtanga Vinyasa, um, I think Sharon Moon came to Austin after she had studied and started teaching Ashtanga two or three years into my practice. And I loved it. Actually, I was like, this is amazing. Like a yoga that feels more rigorous. So I started in more of a Hatha style practice. But when I started yoga, there really wasn't power yoga there was ashtanga yoga or hatha yoga or kundalini yoga Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and classes were I mean my teacher he he was pretty popular his classes were pretty popular so on maybe on Saturdays there'd be like 35 or 40 people in class but those were by far the like biggest classes that were happening at the time Um, and yoga was more of like as a teacher I knew all my students by name I had a regular schedule and they came to my classes cause they wanted to study with me. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, it was more of a teacher driven experience and a relationship driven experience. And I think there's good things and bad things about that. I mean, the good thing about it was like having this ongoing relationship um, and being able to guide people in their practice step-by-step so that they could like grow and develop towards these more advanced poses and postures um, and that part was sweet. And also it was, it was overtly yoga you were coming to. It wasn't like, Oh, yoga is one of the workouts that I do in the series of workouts that I do. And it's a physical practice. I mean, that's why it works to be clear. Like, oh, yes. uh, so I don't, I don't have a, a beef at all with uh, the athleticism of yoga, but, um, I think what's been traded, you know, I, not really, you know, whenever we gain something, we lose something else. I mean, this is like speaking of the ritual you were talking about, right? The reason that we, we do like fire ceremony is to remember, like to get, you have to give up like every choice we made, we unchoose something else. And I think in the yoga world, what we have sort of given up is that more intimate teacher student relationship. Um, and this, uh, this idea that yoga is a mind, body, spirit um, practice, right? It, it, it's, it is a practice for your mind. It is a practice for your body. And the athleticism, you know, that it's built into the practice. We, we end in Shavasana, you know? And I've just been, been a little disheartened over the last couple of years of watching students refuse to lay down in Shavasana, decide to do push-ups instead of resting in shavasana even after being asked like let's let's settle you know um and so i think i think in some what we've gained is so many more people being able to access yoga and come into yoga and find a way and what we've gained in that accessibility is we have taken out some of the the things of yoga that can be a little bit problematic. Um, you know, it's like we always say, like the yoga sutras, it's not a religious practice. Mm-hmm. But there are overtones sometimes that come into class yeah. where, um, where it does feel um, alienating to some people. So, like, in a way, we've mainstreamed yoga, which does make it more accessible. And then at the same time, The sacred aspect of yoga sometimes um, it feels it feels harder to find. Yeah, I can, and it feels harder to hold as a teacher.
0: Yes, I can completely relate to that. Do you feel like um, some of the shadow sides of yoga and the community, like being in this industry for so long, like how how has that affected you as a teacher and um, your practices and even with some of those shadow sides of, um, of the community, how it's just affected, I think the vibration and the energy in itself as a whole.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, what I was saying about some of the problematic things, I mean, one of the good things that has come from, you are know, the being more mainstream and there being so many more teachers, and so much more that's accessible is we have moved away from sort of the cult of personality that really was like the early 2000s in yoga, you know, where we had these big sort of celebrity teachers, um, that weren't just seen as like celebrity teachers, but were like sort of honored as like gurus. Yeah. And, um, and that's, um, a model that is, uh, the way yoga has been passed down. And it's a model that we like to say is fraught with peril, (laughs) you know, because, uh, absolute power corrupts or, you know, and it's, there's two sides to that. There's also like, as a student, I can think back of like not wanting to be the one in charge, you know, I like, I wasn't ready to to like take on my own agency. I, I liked having someone that I just looked up to that had all the answers for me and all I had to do was ask them. Yes. And and so I think um, in some ways it's good that so many more of us are really using this practice of what it's meant for, you know, which is to, to take on our own agency, to be more aware in our lives, to find the teacher within and the wisdom of the teacher with it. And the downside of that is like I was saying, like that, the sacredness of a student teacher relationship mm-hmm. or like the willingness for people to soften their ego a little bit. Yeah, um, That willingness to, to say, Oh, you actually might know more than I do. So let me be open to what you're sharing and then take that into my own experience. And and instead of yoga being like one more thing that I get to puff up my ego mm-hmm. with, yeah. you know, then it, it, it instead of it being the the practice that can sort of crack that shell mm-hmm. in a positive
0: way. Yeah, I can definitely see that um, the challenges as a teacher, and, and the longer that you've been doing it, that. The ego does become more apparent. And I've talked to other teacher friends who've been teaching for a long time, and it's really difficult for them to go take other teachers' classes or teachers who maybe have only been teaching for a year or two. And there's just like this, there's just this weird stigma that I've noticed a little bit throughout the years when it comes to um, those senior kind of instructors. Um, But even just you know, my own experience with my first, inter- like dipped my toe into yoga was integral yoga. And there was a guru and that's, we were not allowed to call her by her first name. We had to call her by, you know, her yoga name. And she was really, really strict. She was very untouchable. And I remember just like anything she said was the law. It was like, it was right. Whatever you're saying is not right. And this is why, because of these strict rules and I remember thinking to myself when I was going through that training, I'm like, I do not want to be not touchable to my students. So I always was my mantra on the back of my head. I was like, I'm going to get through this so I can learn and absorb what I need to. But when I start teaching, I don't want to be known as a guru. I don't want to be the the master that sits on a pillow on a stand at the top of a class that I was like, you know, I really want to embody my students and be on the same level as them and be like, I'm always going to be an evolving student, whether I'm in a teacher role or a student role, but, um, putting yourself in check sometimes, I think really, really important. Like you said, it's like, you've got to get into the practice. You've got to embody the essence of why you are doing what you're doing. And, you know, it's funny seeing some of these like documentaries that are coming out when we're hearing about like Bikram and, you know, that was heart-wrenching too. Cause I, I feel like a lot of people's first experience with yoga has been Bikram yoga. So like, what do you think about that whole controversy and that whole experience? Did you ever practice Bikram at all or?
1: Well, that's an interesting question for me. I actually, um, no, no. I, I didn't. I mean, I, it came around at a time, but honestly, um, I had my own sort of cult experience yes. through yoga. So my first yoga teacher was a follower, a disciple of a, um, they called him the yoga master. Um, and this was a group that uh, was in Austin for, I think they were in Austin for about 15 years. Um, I was involved for about nine years. And so ironically, like one of the things about our, our teacher in that community sometimes known as a cult but yes. like it not com- yeah it was a. at the time I didn't think oh that's no. what it was of course at the time it was a community that I you know that I I cherished and had great relationships with the people I loved there also people I had conflict with I mean that's just like the human condition um but he just was really not into us getting um close to any other dynamic teachers oh, and boy. so Bikram was kind of off limits and that's probably one of the only reasons I, I went to like two Bikram classes at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, in the last, like, you know, five or seven years I've spent some time in the, in the Bikram room. Um, but I think it wasn't as shocking to me to hear about him.
0: Yeah. Cause you had your own Uh, personal experience going through your own cult.
1: Exactly. Where I was like, Oh yeah, that's what happens. But I will say like hearing about it was one thing and watching the documentary, um, was shocking. Yeah it really was shocking. And it is, um, you know, I go back to that boiling the frog kind of Mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of how it happens. Um, and also what I saw really clearly in that documentary and have seen off and on in myself and in others, um, throughout the years is, um, what sometimes referred to as the negative love syndrome. Like, you know, if we can't get love in a positive way, or if it wasn't how we experienced um, being loved growing up, then it's like it fits. It's like a it's like a, a jacket that you put on yeah. that fits for a while to be yelled at, mm-hmm. to be shamed, you know. Um, and I think that there's an aspect of that, like if we have negative voices inside, sometimes it's a relief to hear it from the outside yeah, rather than having it internalized all the time. Um, I really hope that that is something that we're healing. Yes. Um, in the yoga world. And that is one of the things I think we're gaining, even though, um, even though we have lost some of the intimacy and that feeling of sacredness, maybe what we're, we're gaining is, is really people coming in with more of their own, agency and a little more of like their brain turned on to say, I'm going to discern right now. Is this a positive thing or is this not a positive thing?
0: Yes. Well, it's probably really difficult to distinguish what that is when you, it's like, you know, when you met your teacher, you were like, oh my gosh, this is like a celebrity and you're like shaking and like in complete awe. And when you are part of something like a cult or um, there's a, a guru or whatever. Like, it's really, really hard to pull that emotion out of it when you have just this yearning to connect with that person. And so I think it was interesting, even watching the documentary and, you know, knowing and hearing and reading stories of utter, other controversial um, experiences within the yoga community, that that seems to be a very common denominator that there's this guru who, ha- Ego kind of gets in the way and kind of feeds off of these people who just idolize them. And, you know, it's always interesting, especially I'm grateful we're talking about this coming from the spiritual psychology background that you have, that you can really kind of name some of these things. But I think that watching some of those, especially as women, you know, um, it's going to strike a chord for so many people who are in abusive relationships or, who um who have been sexually harassed or uh, or abused um you know I think more and more as we start to see these years go by those voices are becoming a lot louder but um I think it just strikes a chord that it can happen in any type of setting whether it's this like spiritual religious church setting or it's in a setting of yoga, which we all see as just this like hippy dippy, spiritually grounded, amazing community. So Mm -hmm. um, how did you, how did you like transition out of your yoga cult? How did you realize that that was unhealthy or it was a cult? Like what were the signs for you?
1: Well, it was, you know, there was a progression. I will say when I first joined um, or kind of like, you know, kind of, I mean, it's a process to get like in, you have to get over these hurdles that you can be trusted and you can be part of the group and, and all of that. And in, um, the community aspect of it is something that I, I still miss having like that depth of intimacy. However, I also realize now having gotten a little more education on this that like any group that sort of strips away personal identity in order to create closeness is problematic just across the board. It's problematic. Um, any place that you, uh, any place that we go that we can't be like all the aspects of ourselves, you know, works in progress and obviously like figuring out how to be in a collective and an individual, but, but, um, you know yoga can kind of the environment of yoga does lead one to a very open self you know it's like we we go through the practice we go through shavasana we feel very centered in the core of who we are but we're also very open and very vulnerable and so recognizing like oh i'm in this open vulnerable state in which this good feeling that i'm having in my own body, it's really easy for me to project that that came from the teacher or that came from that style of yoga or it, you know, so it's like yoga is very therapeutic and it also, any kind of therapy opens us up. You know, this is why therapists go through so much training, understanding projection and counter projection, you know, meet like just to break those terms down. It's like, you know, when I feel good, I'm going to look at you as the teacher and say, Oh my God, you made me feel good. You know? And, um, my job as the teacher is to say to you, no, you came to yoga, you participated and that good feeling that's you, not me. Right. And then the counter projection too, is like, as teachers we can, and I, I definitely have, had, have gone through my rounds of this. this is what led me to doing, um, further studies. Um, the, the idea of like, Oh my God, like this is such an amazing student. Like, you know, and that attachment that we have to like, I'm doing so much for them. And now, now, wow, I have all these feelings for my students in a way that's like a little overboard, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a, li- a little too much. Yeah. So, um, for me getting out, it really was, there was a shift where instead of it being about the teachings, it very subtly started to be about the teacher So in the beginning, it was about the teachings. And to me, there was so much great um, work that I did as part of that community in the first five years that I was there. And then it just started to be more about worship the teacher rather than apply the teachings, become your own awakened person, go out in the world and share that.
0: Yes. like What would be some of the... Like you just saying and talking about the dynamic between teacher and student, like that just kind of struck a couple of chords with me personally yeah. too. But so what are some things that you can maybe share with other yoga teachers listening, how to kind not? I want to say like put a halt to that emotional connection with your student, but what are some of like the steps that you would suggest for a teacher to do um, to kind of sway away from, well, the reason why they're they're having a good experience is because of me, or you know, putting that pressure on themselves, like I have to make this an amazing class so I can change everybody's life by the end of this class. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
1: you know, I mean, in just really plain English, you got to check yourself. Yeah. I mean, and um, maybe a little more poetic way of saying it is like we are of service. We are of service to this practice that has given us so much, and we are of service to the people who are there. And so if I'm freaking out or making myself anxious about wanting to deliver like the best yoga class ever, Mm -hmm. I'm not being of service to anything other than my ego and my desire to be awesome. Now, does that mean that we don't have a responsibility to practice, study, be accurate in the information we deliver to the best that we can. No, all of that is important. Um, you know, and I would say one of the ways that you can check yourself is be practicing, Mm -hmm. be meditating. Um, and if you are, adding to your yoga offerings by being somewhat of like a a counselor or someone that people can come to and talk to you about their personal things, then I would highly suggest that you also are seeing a counselor or a therapist of some sort so that you can hold that balance. You have someone who's got eyes on you while you have eyes on them. I love that. Yeah.
0: So kind of circling back to um maybe some of the folks who carry kind of trauma with, you know, using yoga as a healing tool for them to help release some of that trauma. I feel like you know, every person I've talked to that I just we can get into really amazing in-depth conversations of like how we've healed from our journeys. Um I know we all have some sort of story that we come back from and we've had, it's just like with teaching yoga, you know, you, whatever you practice, that's typically what you're going to teach to. And so when we go through these, um, these past experiences that kind of lead us to the industry that we decided to chose into, whether it's like, you know, just staying in the umbrella of yoga, like yoga therapy, um, because I was, you know, I had, an eating disorder or something like that, or, you know, I was in an abusive relationship. And so my, my goal is to help women who have been abused by using yoga or, you know, uh, we hear a lot about these amazing yoga teachers who were alcoholics or drug users. And now they're really teaching to that experience for their students to be able to connect deeper with them. Um, is there any, like anything that kind of struck the chord for you to be able to go down the, in, down the path of like, I'm going to get into psychology and, you know, what was like your passion behind that and your drive to go in that direction?
1: I would say leaving the, leaving this spiritual community that I was part of. I mean, often when I'm talking about it, I say to people, my greatest teaching, from that guru or that teacher was in leaving, in leaving the community and in the process that it took to sort of put myself back together again. The process that of, um, I had to take ultimate responsibility for the decision to be part of it. And I couldn't leave it um, and get over it without, Accepting, you know, like really letting go of the victim mentality that said, you know, I met this yoga teacher who then introduced me to this guru and I ended up in this like hard situation. And now I have no, like, I'm trying to put my life back together and it's all because of them. <laughs> and the only way past it was to get really clear about the part of me that uh, was vulnerable to this male figure, um, who was an authoritarian and it didn't take too long to trace that back and go, Oh, right. My father was Mm -hmm. a missionary and a minister and corporal, you know, I was spanked until I was 16 years old. Um, you know, and, and the, the message with that was always I'm doing this for your own good,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And so fast forward to, I marry someone eventually to who is eventually physically abusive. And, um, you know, and after the fight the next day, it was always like, well, you know, if you hadn't provoked me, this wouldn't have happened. And so that message layered on top of that early message that said, like, you don't know what's right for you. And I'm going to. I'm going to cause physical harm to you so that you can get in line with what I'm telling you is right for you. Like there's no message in my upbringing that said, well, what do you think is right? Or why did you do that when I asked you to do this? What's going on inside of you? There was like none of that. And I think for most of us, we didn't have that. And so coming out of the, the community, I was, I was, I wanted to heal you know it's like okay so here i'm i've gone down the line of three men in my life yeah. um who have who i have allowed to enforce their will on me and who i have given up my own agency and my own sense of right and wrong um and and either let them or ha- like you know as a child i don't know how much choice we have around it but I just like, I have to stop the pattern. And that's when I enrolled, I found out about transpersonal psychology and I was like, Oh my God, this is it. And I started reading before I started my graduate program because I was trying to decide which program to do. I started reading about this concept of spiritual bypass and I was like, Oh, this is what's been happening all along. You know, this idea of like, I, I loved being in my community because I liked um, meditating all the time and there was a lot of guidance about meditation. And when your ego came up, just drop your mind and follow my my guidance, you know, but there was no ego development. Like there was no, there was no therapy. Um, like all the therapy was about just like, if you disagree with me, just drop your mind and be in this ecstatic state. Right. There was no grounding to it. Um, and then after it was over, I kind of went a little crazy on the other side of like life things, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a lot of first, second and third chakra, we would say, you know, yeah. a lot of like, just like sex, drugs and fun yeah. for a little while let's yeah, try and get it out of my system. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a long answer to say I, I landed in this, this world of transpersonal psychology because I don't want a life. It doesn't have spirit in it, yeah. But I also don't want a life where I don't get to be me. And understanding, like becoming me, me getting to be me, is actually a process of undoing a lot of programming and patterns. Um, and so, uh, transpersonal psychology to me really those things meet. So I acknowledge that um the ecstatic states that I feel in meditation because that's real oh, yeah. and potent and I don't want to live a life without that. And it also doesn't mean that I can't be a good businesswoman mm-hmm. and have boundaries in my relationships and want things for myself. Want a good life for myself.
0: Yes. Well, and so how do you, do you layer this, um, psychology into your teachings or is this something that you kind of offer on its own, like an offset, almost like a spiritual teacher or a life coaching, like how, um, how have you kind of laced this into your umbrella under your business and your brand?
1: Mm, Such a good question. And of course, you know, I'm in. An interesting transitional moment with that, as we all are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, le- le- I like to say, "Love in the time of COVID." Here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. I would say up till now, yeah, I've absolutely used um, used the education. I would say the transpersonal psychology studies and that degree um, and all that learning I've woven into all of my um, teacher trainings. So my 200 hour and even more so in the 300 hour advanced training, like bringing those topics in, looking at shadow, looking at patterns, um, looking at spiritual psychology, and then looking at just like human psychology and pathway to leadership and how do we, how do we work on our own stuff so we can show up more clear as leaders in the world? Um, and, uh, with the trauma piece that sort of like, I just ended up really stumbling into that training and ended up doing it side by side with my master's work. Oh, my uh, which I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was a lot, oh, but gosh. <laughs> yeah. it was a lot. But the, the, I would say the, 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 the Peter Levine's somatic experiencing work, that really has shifted how I teach yoga, how I pace a class, how I cue a pose, um, definitely in yin yoga and restorative yoga, really um, teeing it up in a way that I'm able to give people these tools through just the regular practices that we're doing, um, which has led me to like my my most recent project that I uh, you know is in its sort of nascent form, but has been a decade in the making. It's um is called the body resilient. Yes, and it's because I just through that work have to come so clearly to realize that if we want to be have our own agency, you know, if we if we want to learn how to genuinely take care of ourselves, and how to make the choices that are sourced from the core of who we are, we have to be in our bodies. And if we're in our bodies, then we will know intuitively, whoa, this situation has just gone off the tracks. Yep. So, yeah. So the body resilience is really just a, it's a body of work that I'm bringing forward a little bit at a time. And uh, I'm offering my first, um, month long program. It's, I saw that. Just, is, yeah. that so is that
0: is that going to be uh, accessible online or in person or have you kind of had it's to, to f- shift it a little bit with everything going on right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, so originally I had that plan to offer in June in person in Austin, but it's uh I've moved up the timeline because I just feel like it's skills that can help everyone right now and online because that's how we're together these days. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I love that. Well, I've always been just so impressed, um, Diakana, with your um, just the way you have branded yourself and have built your business. Um, I know a lot of times conversations will come up amongst yoga teachers like, oh, I can't just do I can't just teach yoga. I have to have all these side hustles. You know, like you've really built your built yourself a brand um, with not just teaching yoga, but um, growing that into other layers to support you and to support your career. Like, what are some of those branches that you've um, built into, and that's um, really kind of like built up the brand that you that you now have?
1: I, I'm giggling a little bit because I'd love to say like, yes, I had this master plan. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, my my first website was actually gifted to me by um, a student who was like, "I really I want to do something to give back," and so um, I I have this amazing designer, and that was back in the day when I think MySpace had just started, yeah. and so like you had to you had to have a website, you know, in order to get your stuff out there. So I I at the time, I, to be honest, I it would have taken me many more years to know, to invest in my business that way. So I would not, I wouldn't at the time have spent the money. So I'm super grateful for him, um, you know, having seeded that, that piece. Um, And then, you know, the next big step after that was really uh, managing programs. And in the process of managing programs for other studios, so I managed the, the fitness program at what we used to be called powerhouse and i think now they're pure well no then they became pure austin and now i think they're lifetime. Lifetime. their lifetime lifetime yep. took over right um like managing programs uh was this opportunity for me to start to understand how to how to lay out programming and then teacher training was something that, again, I got asked to do. Um, and the very first teacher training that I was supposed to really be um, not an anchor teacher, but more of like a, a helper teacher, um, ended up falling in my lap.
0: Oh, my gosh. Love it.
1: Um, but that said, um, I love teaching. And back to the other thing. This is the other thing I wanted to say. Um one of the tr- things that's changed with our modern yoga is we have some people who are teaching yoga and we have other people who are leading practices. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an interesting environment in which to try to teach mm-hmm. when most people uh, have been conditioned to come in and be led through a practice. So um, so that being said, I love Love, love, love to teach. And once I started teacher training, I was, it really is my, um, it's the thing that has kept me, um, in the game, so to speak. Love that. So I would say, you know, as far as like sort of building these different parts of the brand and then I, um, one of the things we weren't allowed to do when I was part of my group is travel. Travel was highly, highly discouraged, and I have had wander since I, I, mean, I was born, you know, my father was a missionary. I was born in the tropics. Yeah. I, like, oh, like it's in your blood. In, like, blood. Yeah, absolutely. And so once I started to experience that freedom and I led my first yoga retreat, I was like, oh, these are the things I love. Bringing people together in community, practicing yoga together and exploring together. And so it's like, um, I would say how I've, I've built my brand is within, within the realm of yoga understanding what are all the other possibilities like what is it i love the most about yoga you know i was like well i love teaching so teacher training makes sense for me to sort of you know and i i let teacher trainings out of my living room (laughs) you know for years i love that Yeah, it was so sweet. You know, we'd take a break and have some tea and sit in the backyard. Oh my gosh, that's like,
0: that's literally like my dream one day when I'm this old, old woman to have my own little yoga house where I could just have people practice yoga there and I love to cook. I'm like, I can put together like little meals for them and host and just make it more of this cozy, like take your shoes off and come on in type of feeling. So you just saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I would have loved to love to be part of that circle.
1: Well, as you're talking, I'm just—I had my hand on my heart because I was like, oh, I'm just feeling that so in my heart. And I know I've been having conversations with people who are, you know, pretty freaked out about what is the future of yoga on the other side of this. And, yeah. and my hope, and my my dream, and really my belief is that we are going to have a renaissance. Yes. And we will be coming back to smaller classes Mm -hmm. at our teachers' houses and closer relationships on the one hand, and then also, like, accessibility to, like, some of these great teachers around the world through the online platform as we've all sort of been forced to practice at home and then Mm -hmm. realized well, dang, it's actually kind of nice to just roll my yoga mat out and do it before dinner. And it doesn't have to be a big production and it doesn't have to be 110 degrees in the room and it's still effective.
0: Yes. Oh, so so true. I love that. Love that. Well, you have just like Shown so much, have just shared so much light with everybody. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for your words of wisdom and your experiences and your story. And um, I do, I'm going to shift gears a little bit we I love to play games on my podcast cuz I want to get to know like the ins and outs of you know the real side of my guest um I always call it the tequila side like green juice kind of represents like everything we just talked about like the tools and what we've learned but I'm like I want the tequila side I want I want to know the stuff that people don't know about you so I'm we're going to play this game it's called 20 questions I'm just going to spit them off to you just answer them as honestly as you can and We'll just go from there. Great. Okay. What is your favorite yoga studio you've practiced in? It can be anywhere.
1: My favorite yoga studio I've practiced in? Um, Casa de Luz.
0: Oh,
1: yes. Back in the day. Oh, I love that. I Back love in the that. day, like walking through um, the trees and... The kids were often playing outside. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. What is your favorite yoga apparel, like apparel brand? Mm. Lululemon. Lululemon. I know. They just make a good quality. It's been around for a long time. So. And
1: they're so comfortable. I know. Actually, like they Align, I'm like, I'm obsessed oh. because it's just like, finally, some yoga pants that don't feel like.
0: Oh, for sure. And you, I'm sure we're all like living in Lululemon right now. They're probably all those like leisure brands are doing so good right now with being stuck inside. Seriously. If I have to wear a pair of jeans, I'm kind of scared on what's going to happen when I try those first pair on. Um, okay. Are you a mountain girl or ocean girl?
1: I'm both. I'm from Oregon. Oregon's where I call home. And so it's like, I want the ocean that's right next to the mountain.
0: I love it. That area is so beautiful too. Mm, That's like,
1: yeah. I'll be there someday. That's my retirement plan.
0: I feel it. Are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker?
1: Both. I have espresso every morning and then a pot of green tea.
0: Love it. What's the most impressionable moment or memory that you can recall?
1: That is really. Ho- I'm going to land on this one though. Um, after our community split up, and I was at a loss of what to do, I went to India. Mm-hmm. And when I was in India, I got sick. I got bronchitis. Oh my god! Um, but I, yeah, but I, I, I didn't know that that's what I had, and I didn't know I had a fever because it was so hot there anyway. I just thought that I had actually finally lost my mind. Like, literally, I was Aww. like, oh, it happened. I came all the way to India to have a meltdown and it's happening. Yeah. Like I've lost my mind. Um, and I stumbled into um, this sweet driver that I had met on the first day that I was there. And he took one look at me and he said, you're sick. You have a fever. I'm going to take you to this banana boat plantation because they have Ayurvedic doctor there and it's um it's cooler and there's palm trees it's gonna be perfect so I went and um the guy that was there was so um humble and like just like here do this steam drink this tea and then he said and then I can tell that your heart is troubled so I'm going to take you out on this little canoe so we went out on this little canoe in the middle of the backwaters in Kerala And uh there was a huge rock and he's like, Why don't you just sit on that rock and watch the sunset? And I like I swear my fever broke while I was sitting there on the rock. Oh my gosh. And for like I and I just drank in the mother energy. Like in India is mother energy. Especially there in, in Kerala and I was I just felt so nurtured and you know, had a good long hard cry.
0: Of course. Oh and my gosh, that like, literally gives me goosebumps.
1: Woo. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, it was that, oh my gosh. I can still
1: still feel that moment and see that oh. moment as like I turned the corner and I was like, you know. The world is still
0: beautiful and I'm going to find a way to kind of love that. Literally, I have goosebumps all up my arms right now. I could totally feel and see that whole story. Um, well, on that note, what's your favorite food?
1: Oh, my God.
0: Tacos. <laughs> yeah. Tacos. Of course. And what's your favorite place you've ever traveled to? so hard to Mm, choose. You've been in a lot of places. Yeah. Iceland is top of the list. That's on my bucket list too. What looks amazing. Top of the list.
1: The earth is alive there. The earth is so alive there and it's, it's vibrant and palpable.
0: Oh, it looks so magical every time. My sister, she has a travel blog. um, It's flights from Austin and her husband's a pilot. So her other blogs, Life as a Pilot's Wife. They travel everywhere and they went to Iceland. I mean, they did it in a camper. They rented a camper and drove all over Iceland and like stayed in the most amazing spots on this. I mean, it was incredible. So yes, it's been definitely on my bucket list and the fact that you're bringing that up, I might have to manifest something. Um, What book are you reading right now?
1: Um, It's called A Place for Us. And I'm like 10 pages from the end. Um, it's the first novel I've read in years. Um, it's a beautiful story uh, about a Muslim family that um, grows up in the U.S., but it's really deeper than that. It's a story about the complications of religion and family. And
0: I love that. Well, now's the religion. time. Like, we have the time dedicated to really open up and read more and that, um, we'll have to put that one on our bucket list too. What's your self-care regimen and how do you know when it's time for you to implement self-care?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately I do have a pretty high tolerance for discomfort. I blame that on yoga. I mean, in some ways, you know, like the upside of yoga is like we learned to call tolerate discomfort. It can fight against us, but my, um, my dad gave away that it's time for self-care is when I feel anxious and literally anxiety for me is like my body shakes, yeah. physically shakes. So if I'm like getting up in the morning and I can't hold my hand still, I'm like, okay, this is time. Um, or overwhelm and overwhelm just um, starts as a tightening in my chest and turns into either angry or sad tears. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when that is happening, then I I walk away from work. I just. I, and either I sleep or I go outside for extended periods of time.
0: I love that. I can relate to that too, anxiety and that t- chest tightening. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. I have to like, have you done um, the Iceman's breath work before? Like no, his- but this
1: is the third time, which means I have to check it out. Okay, you're
0: going to have to. I, I struggle hardcore with anxiety. Um Yoga was definitely the reason why I started yoga was because of my general anxiety disorder. But um, that breath work, oh my gosh, because you have to hold your breath. You build up. So it's a real quick kind of inhale, exhale, and you'll do it for a full minute. Then you hold your breath for a full minute. Um, and he makes you cycle it through a couple of t- times. It completely removes all of that tightness and like the throat and the chest. It's crazy. And that first time you hold your breath, your heart's beating very, very fast but once you do it like two or three more rounds of it when you're holding your breath your heart stays so calm and grounded it's the most bizarre thing and it it really does kind of shift your whole anxiety energy completely away it's it's been kind of my go-to right now with everything going on but-
1: which is also i was just thinking how powerful that is um because you know the the pandemic we're facing is not being able to breathe.
0: Yeah. That's so true. I, I never thought of it like that. That is so true. Yeah. Well,
1: and I was hearing a, an interview just real quick on, on, um, you know, somebody who's researching the pandemic and who literally, um, had said that what they're noticing is like, there there's like predisposition for certain people because their lungs aren't healthy. Yeah. And so I was thinking, like, oh my gosh, Pranayama, thank God for all the rough work we've been doing all this time. And like, I'm going to seek, I'm going to experiment with that and seek that out for
0: sure. Oh, yeah. You'll let me know how you like it too. He's kind of a little bit of a wackadoo, but get on goop and watch the the documentary series. It's like 30 minutes long, gives you a nice overview of the Iceman. Um, Okay. If you were stuck on an island, what three things would you make sure that you had with you? You were stuck on an island. Three things you couldn't live without.
1: Well, sunscreen because (laughs) I'm a redhead. Yeah. (laughs) To be very practical, um, some really good dark chocolate. Mm. Couldn't live without that. Oh. Can I take a Kindle?
0: Yeah. <laughs> sure. You can do
1: whatever you want. I love books so much. I have at least like 500 books at home. So oh my God, Yeah. What? So I'm like I couldn't think of a single book, but if I had a Kindle, I constantly Yeah, then you'd then be, be, good. Constantly, hey, yeah, I'd be good. Yeah. That's
0: a businesswoman's mindset right there. Like, how can I? <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not teaching yoga? <sighs>
1: I love bike riding and hiking.
0: Mm, me too. I love that. Um, do you watch any TV? Do you have a favorite TV series you're watching right now?
1: I love TV. Um, <laughs> like, not regular TV. I don't have regular TV, no. but I have, like, Hulu and Netflix, Netflix yeah, and the Sundance Channel and What I Am at. Right now, um, I'm obsessed with Mrs. America mm-hmm. and Hillary. Both of them are on Hulu, and both of them are just stirring up the feminist in me. I love it. And, like, a whole—another uh, level. Ugh. Like, we've been at this for a good long time.
0: Yeah. Yes, And we I'm have. just
1: feeling inspired to, like, you know— fight the good
0: fight i love it do you have apple tv by chance
1: i don't oh,
0: because the Should morning it? yeah you might the morning okay. show with reese witherspoon and nicole kidman it is ridiculous and as like a feminist and feminine energy you will like love that show like it, oh so good with jennifer aniston in it actually not Nicole kidman yeah, you see, oh, I know. You might have to look into Apple TV. Not that we, have, we all have like 20 streaming services at this point, but now's the time to do it. Um, yeah. Are you a red wine drinker, white wine, rosé? What's your, what's your vice if you do wine?
1: I am a big Pinot Noir fan. Mm-hmm. So red wine, but I like like a yummy red wine.
0: Oh, me too. Like jammy, super yes. creamy. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what's your, who's your favorite female inspiration?
1: I mean, it's so hard to choose. Um, I mean, Shiva Ray has been an inspiration to me since the very first time I practiced with her. Yeah. And I still feel like I still land in my body when I hear her voice. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, And I, I, I love everything that she's created and stood for. Um, throughout her years. So her and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my G.
0: Yes. I love it. Um, what's your Zodiac sign?
1: I'm a Libra. I'm a Libra. Gemini rising.
0: I knew you were a Sagittarius moon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is totally you. I love it. I knew you were a Libra. I almost said it before we started, but I wanted to see if I was right. Um, what are qualities that you look for in a person? And this can be in a friendship in a business relationship, an intimate romantic relationship, however direction you want to go into.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love people that are authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, that word's kind of like a buzzword, but what I mean is like people who are just very much absolutely themselves and, um, less concerned about, um, what other people think about them. I
0: love that that, quality. It's huge Huge. for me.
1: Um, compassionate too. Like that's, that's important. Um, because, you know, I'm a work in progress and I can be a hot mess. uh, Yeah, I I think we all can. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just, so I love somebody who doesn't mind being messy with me, but also somebody who can hold me in compassion and remember my best qualities in the moments when I'm maybe not expressing. Oh my
0: gosh. Yes. That's a, that's a good quality for for them to have too.
1: Um, Last one. Yes. I love for a business partner or like somebody that I'm like co-teaching with or working with. I love the people who are super duper organized. and know what time it is all the time. Yes. I'm I'm not. I'm yeah.
0: not that. You're an air sign.
1: <laughs> I am. So, yeah, yeah I need like an earth sign. Yeah. I need somebody, if you know Myers Briggs, I need somebody with a good solid
0: yeah. J. Yes, a good solid J. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> got, got it. Like they're
1: organized.
0: Yes. Yeah, see, I'm a Virgo. I'm a Virgo, Leo, and rising Gemini. So, that is all me. I'm very, very organized. And it gives me anxiety when I'm not. So I have to chill out sometimes on that.
1: (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Okay. No, no, for future
0: ideas. Do you need a little Virgo help. Um, What, what are you most passionate about?
1: People's life transformation.
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean,
1: that's it. Like that's. I'm most interested in my own transformational journey and I'm most interested in, in other people just living their best life and landing really in the depth of who they are.
0: I love that. Okay. My last question I ask everybody, green juice or tequila?
1: Oh, tequila. Yes. Anytime. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, Giaconda, I am so incredibly grateful for this time with you. I felt like I gained so much out of this hour talking with you, and I know that my listeners and viewers will feel the exact same way. But most importantly, I want people to be able to follow you and participate in some of these offerings that you talked about in the podcast. Um, So, we'll like, if you wanted to share with us, like, what's the next thing you're doing and offering and where we can find it. And I'll, of course, you guys make sure that I put all of Giaconda's in. Information in the description of this podcast as well.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram at Giaconda yoga. Um, and, uh, the, the thing that I have coming up is the body resilient. It's a month long program. Um, it's hosted through wanderlust yoga and it's uh, four nights, uh, four Wednesday nights in a row, um, where it will just be talking about these skills, like these really basic, just ways of being more present in our bodies and being more resilient in
0: our lives. I love that. I know I'm going to have to look into that because that sounds amazing. So excited. Well, thank you again for joining me on green juice and tequila. And you guys, if you liked this episode, please subscribe and write a review. I'd be so incredibly grateful. And I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day.